The love of my country will be the ruling influence of my conduct. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the unique challenges faced by the Republic this week. We'll cover other news stories in our hot take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating and consider even a review in your favorite podcast app so others can find us. But first, Patrick, polling. This week, I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, what caught my eye was the huge difference in the presidential Democratic race from different polls. So the Quinnipiac poll came out um, (laughs) yesterday. You said that like President Trump. Yeah, I did, right? (laughs) Quinnipiac poll came out yesterday where we had Elizabeth Warren, a little surprise, at 28, Biden at 21, Sanders at 15, and Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 10. But the day before that, a new CNN poll came out where for, for the nation where Biden was at 34, Warren was at 19, Sanders at 16. So the difference between that is Warren winning by seven points over Biden, or in the CNN poll, Biden being up by 15 over Warren. How is it possible that we can have two polls that are so widely telling such widely different stories? It is because they're polling something that really doesn't exist. These are national polls polling Democrats nationally about who their preference is. But And I've said this before, say it again, there is no such thing as a national democratic primary. It does not exist. What exists is a primary process that starts out in very small states of Iowa and New Hampshire and starts rolling across the country. And as each state's results come in, Democrats in the other states start tuning in and paying attention in different ways. The vast majority of those Democrats that are polled by Quinnipiac and by CNN, and in fact by Monmouth when we do our national polls, will not be participating in a Democratic primary. And certainly those who will be participating in a primary will not be participating in a primary involving these candidates in this way. So what that means is if we go back, remember my outlier poll at the end of August? I certainly do. There's no question. What I pointed out is while the numbers might have been an outlier, there is a truth in that polling, which is we are entering a period of uncertainty. And that uncertainty seems to be settling more around Joe Biden than anybody else, although Warren's numbers now are popping around nationally in a way that we haven't seen. What I'm saying is, so we have a 14-point or 13-point difference in Joe Biden from 21% in Quinnipiac to 34% in CNN. And I know a lot of folks are looking at the averages, right? So, you know, you looked at the averages, right? I did. So the averages for Biden, so the averages of all the polls comes out to Biden at 27.2%, Warren at 21.8%, Sanders at 17.3%, and Mayor Pete at 7%. Now, those are the top four, and everyone else is is below that. But, 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 But Patrick, I mean, Warren 28, Biden 21 versus 34, 19 is... A 23-point right. difference. I mean... And that's that's why I say, you know, the aggregators, say, the aggregators say, look at the look at the averages. And I say the averages actually are masking the high level of uncertainty. You can't take an average when the range is this wide from pole to pole. And these are, these are A-rated pollsters. I mean, 538 rates both of these pollsters as an A, rates Monmouth as an A. So you take only the A-rated pollsters. And I looked at them over the last uh, couple of months... And you're getting these wide swings on Biden. And that simply says to me that the, the, the Biden number is not a hard number. 
And the Warren number right now is not a completely hard number as well, she's well, getting. Look, I mean, based on so, how based on how things went in the debate last week, I mean, I spoke about we both spoke about how Warren really suffered in that debate, and that that, that would be some explanation. I, I just I no, I don't think that's, I don't think it's me. it's an explanation that it's actually tied to something that actually happened. I think it's an explanation that Democrats really? are still it's still early in the process, mm-hmm, and okay. most of these national Democrats that we're talking to really aren't closely tied in, which means from day to day you're going to get wide variations. So the average suggests that there's more stability in this race than there is, whereas the range of differences mm-hmm. from pollster to pollster I think gives us a I mean, much more get realistic right. It gives us a much more realistic idea that this race is still very much open. Joe Biden does have his support. Elizabeth Warren has gaining support. But we really don't know which one is in the lead and won't know until after we get past Iowa and New Hampshire in February. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I do get that. And actually, from my own perspective, I go back and forth, not on who I personally like, but on who I yeah. think would be the best person to be on that stage against if Donald Trump is the nominee for the Republican side, who can face Donald Trump the best? You know, is it is it Warren's passion, energy, but some some issues that she that she has beliefs about that are not going to connect perhaps with the center of the country? Or is it Biden with his sort of easy, moderate behavior, but also, you know, challenges that are around his candidacy? So it really does, it switches for me. But again, I it really struck me. And one of the values of having being able to do this show with you is to get one of these grade A pollsters. And I get your opinion. We all get to have your opinion every week on the show to sort of help us explain that. So, all right, now let's move on to our topic, our next topic, which is how is the Republic being challenged this week? And this has been a remarkable week for the United States of America. Patrick, what are your thoughts? The big news, I think we have to start with the big news, and Mm -hmm. that is the uh, Ukraine, um, he's not the ambassador, he's uh, the special envoy, Bill Taylor. Mm-hmm. with his testimony, which we don't know the testimony that he no, gave. No, but we have the opening statement. But we have the opening statement. Would you, give us a quick, would you give us a quick recap of what that opening statement sort of suggests right. about where we are? All right. So I think it's useful to tell you a little bit about Bill Taylor. He was the ambassador to Ukraine under George W. Bush. Under George Bush. Right. Yes. So, uh, okay. so he was back then. So he knows Ukraine inside and out. Mm-hmm. And, and he's also a, someone who sees Russia as a huge challenge right. to not just Ukraine, right. but to the whole world. Right. So his whole idea is that we need a strong Ukraine as a buttress against yeah. Russia, uh, Russian expansion across the it's world. It's sort of like the safe zone in Syria in right. a way. Right. Right. Yeah. So he was asked by uh, the Secretary Pompeo. of State, Mike Pompeo, to in, back. this is back in May, to step in and become the special envoy to, to Ukraine. And he said he would do that if... He could, you know, if if the policy of the United States was the same as it always had been towards Ukraine (laughs) and he was ensured that it was. So he gets into there in in June. He goes over to Kiev uh, and then things start falling apart uh, from what his perspective is. And he participates in these phone calls and he lays this all out where it becomes clear that the military aid that Congress had approved was being held up. And he Mm -hmm. documents phone calls with the Trump uh, administration, right. with, with OMB officials. This is Office of Management and Budget who are handling the, the money. 
We're saying up. Oh, this is this is held up. You got to let them. And hold, these contemporaneous up. notes are very very yeah. valuable and something apparently that he's done throughout his entire career. Right. And they're saying and he's saying that he he was told on the phone call as he's listening to the phone call that the officials one of the officials is saying this came directly from President Trump. This and then his his other conversations with the ambassador to the European Union, Sondlander, that. This there was a quid pro quo was about, was about investigating uh, either Joe Biden, Joe and Biden, or coming out and saying it and that he wanted the president of Ukraine to come out on television and saying we are indeed looking into Joe Biden and uh, the you know the Biden and it, it was and yes and it wasn't just Biden remember it was also it was this, also the this, server this fake this the, the the server but no it was this fake uh, discredited uh, notion that the. And interference in American elections didn't come from Russia, but in fact came from Ukraine. Right. They wanted to and, prove that. Which would have been, I mean, one one could ask, why would President Trump have even done this? Like, what would it do? What it would have done was put a, put a mark on Joe Biden's campaign from that moment forward of absolute corruption that Trump has been trying to make happen anyway. But to have the president of a foreign nation come out and do it would give it absolute legitimacy, right. which is why he was calling for it. So, you know, Bill Taylor feels that this this whole process undermined the United States national security and he's willing to talk about it and talk about it in great detail in ways that seem to undermine the administration's defense of itself in very clear detail. And that's that seemed to be what we we heard coming out of the the leaks that came out of his testimony. Uh, we heard leaks from the Democratic side, but we didn't hear any leaks from the Republican side. <laughs> Suggesting that he that anything came out of that that was supportive of the president's mm-hmm. position there. It is absolutely damning, and it's exactly what we've sort of been wondering whether anyone who was in a position to know the, the answers to these questions would be willing to speak out in this way, which is why it's such big news and why it's definitely how we had to start. So let's talk a little bit about the process of how you know we he's been giving out this information. Um, the listeners have, will know that we have been advocating in the past for starting this inquiry, this uh, this impeachment inquiry behind closed doors, right? right? And that's what's happening. And it's really become a huge point of contention for Republicans. Yeah, so and let's, you, let's, yeah, we should talk about what, you know, the, we have our reasons why we think it should happen behind closed doors. And we've been yes. saying this all along. You know, my reason was, uh, I was, I used that Lewandowski hearing where uh, Corey mm-hmm. Lewandowski appeared in front of the, the House committee. Uh, and it became such a sh- sideshow, and Lewandowski used it to yeah. burnish his own political fortunes. The Republicans on that committee used it to, uh, you know, to, to to make statements that they couldn't make themselves. The Democrats also were grandstanding, and I felt that that in order to get to the bottom of what was going on, you needed to take the grandstanding aspect out of this. And the only way you could do it was to do it behind closed doors. Which so, Trey no- Gowdy, who ran the Benghazi investigation, really made a point of when he was doing it because he was starting it behind closed doors to right. get as much information as you could so that when you do get to public hearings, you're not fishing anymore. You've already caught the fish. The fish is there. You just got to serve the fish on the platter for the American right. people, which is what the Democrats are now, it seems, very successfully doing. So instead of Bill Taylor 
sitting there for nine hours in front of the American people, you might only need like an hour and a half or two hours to because you, we already, it's like a grand jury with, that is discovering all the evidence. And the reason they're doing it is because the Justice Department is not helping. They're not going to, they're not doing right. any investigating. They're not setting up a special counsel. I think the House Democrats are doing a perfect job at this. And it's what the Republicans are hanging on to as well, I wouldn't, unfair. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but this is the way you need to go. Now, yeah, now the Republicans are coming out and saying, this is unfair. There's a lack of due process. Which is funny, really funny, because they're the ones who, who created it this way in 2015. They started it so that this is the way they do it. I mean, Judge Napolitano, who is a analyst on Fox News, came out, who, who tends to always sort of guard the republic from that, from that television station. And he came out and he said, no, 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 this is what the rules were. These rules were created by the Republicans. They're now fighting against those rules. So it's just more hypocrisy, unfortunately. Yeah, and I and I understand, and I've heard some uh, reasonable Republicans talk about their concerns about this, and they are concerned whether the Republicans are able to bring witnesses forth, uh, or it's just the Democrats calling witnesses, if uh, if uh, if there is the ability to um, to counteract or to cross-examine these witnesses the democrats say there are the republicans say no the democrats well, they are the, the they democrats and are. the democrats counter with well the republicans the most many of them don't just don't simply don't show up at 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 these closed door hearings well they did show up because yeah. they showed up in the well the they other day. The, yeah not they, the members but the well 14 and 13 of the members did show up but yeah. the, that grouping to me that was the most dangerous moment of okay. the week for our republic so the the, what we're talking about is they're meeting behind uh closed doors they are meeting uh in what's a what's called a skiff and i it's a Special uh, confidential information. I forget what the what Forum? SCI of stands for, <laughs> but it, it's it's a it's a secure facility within the Capitol that you're yeah. not allowed to bring phones in. You're not allowed to bring any electronic and where, devices when in. When intelligence is and when there is there, there's yeah. all sorts of intelligence, not just this the, these hearings, but there's all sorts of other intelligence material in this in these rooms that are secure, and only certain people are allowed to see them. They're only allowed to see them at certain times. Uh, there is a huge breach of security when folks who are unauthorized just barge in, particularly when they barge in with their cell phones and start taking video. So that's what happened this week. And Matthew Gates, who is a congressman from Florida and a real hellraiser, uh, led this charge. And watching those 50 or so Republicans... A real, and, and a real come... empty suit, if I can say that. And I will say that because okay. I've seen him. Remember, when I mentioned Corey Lewandowski, he was the one who had yep. that back and forth with Corey Lewandowski that says, I can't say these things, but you can. He and doesn't really was... have an accent like that, to be fair. We're going to get to Lindsey Graham later, who does have a similar accent to that. No, Gates is, Gates is tough. I mean, he's also a tough guy. Like, you know, you, he's the kind of guy who is going to stand up in a bar and start a fight with the first guy he gets a chance to, you know, I, 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 I and I don't say that. I'm not, I, what I'm saying there is he, he's not afraid to step forward. You know, and and to fight for what he believes in. He's a huge Trump supporter. He's in the Mark Meadows, Jim Jim Jordan sort of vibe, uh, and he's the one who led this literally charge. He led a charge, and it it shocked me, scared me, and it was one of the first times I was like, "Well, there you go. That's the beginning of the the 
that's the beginning of the civil unrest. Right. When people say, yeah, these are, know, these, I don't this, care. I don't this care This about is not undermining the norms of behavior in ways that just make the, the, the Congress less uh, collegial. Mm-mm. This is undermining the norms of behavior that protect our national security. Yeah. That is that, what was problematic about it. And, why and, it and, and why did he do it? In fact, this confirms to me why these things should be happening behind closed doors. Because folks like Getz and, and, and these others are only concerned with the spectacle. Because the idea is, if you can turn this process into a spectacle, mm-hmm. you undermine public trust in the process. That's right. You're and therefore, your idea, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because this is the whole thing. The Constitution only hangs on public trust. So this whole impeachment process, as it's going on, only hangs if the public believe that the process itself is fair. And so what they're trying to do is make it unfair. Now, they don't, they've lost the ability, at least currently they've lost the ability, to in public have these public hearings where they go on and on and they can do these things, like I said he did with, with Lewandowski. So they've lost that. So they've tried to find another way to do it. And the only other way they found to do it is undermining and risking our national security in order to go ahead and do that. And it's it's a short-term fix, really, for them, because eventually it's going to go public. It sounds right. like it's going to go public in mid-November. They're going to, the Democrats are going to get all the information that they need. They're trying to do this, it seems, extremely carefully so that when the public hearings do start, hopefully they're going to follow the Nixon impeachment and bring counsel in to ask these questions of these people. That the, the, Say to the Congress, to the, to the people on the committee, sorry, it's more important than your, than your polling numbers is us getting these answers out in a quality way. So, Wait, Remember, so the, look house at what ha- happened. the House has to pass a resolution to hold the the actual impeachment inquiry. Right, but you're not going to call and, and that. And in that, in, that, in that resolution, it can be that this is how we're going to handle the public hearings to take that away from them. And this is what these Republicans are worried about, is that if, we, if, if this process goes on and people trust that the information is being uh, collected uh, judiciously mm-hmm. and fairly— then we start losing ground in our ability to undermine this. With right, the because they're not speaking about any of the facts of the case. No. They're, they're, because it's hard to do that right now. Because the right. facts of the case are damning. They're incredibly damning. Yes. So okay, what so what happens, to... what happens if the House does pass the articles of impeachment and Which goes seems to the Senate? extremely likely. And yes. now the senators are the deciders of whether we get to keep this republic or not, in my opinion. Um, you know, Bill Crystal came out with a tweet who was a former guardian of the week on our show, a never Trumper or human scum as President Trump. I think when President mm-hmm. Trump was typing that tweet about he there was a tweet that went out this week, President Trump called all never Trumpers who are former Republicans who now are against President Trump or have been against him from the beginning. And he called them human scum, the leader of that human scum army (laughs) is Bill (laughs) Crystal and someone who I have a tremendous amount of respect for how he has handled these last number of years. And he just had a tweet that just came out this morning saying, isn't Lindsey Graham's resolution, which we haven't explained, but Lindsey Graham essentially in the Senate yesterday came out with a resolution after having lunch with President Trump and after Donald Trump Jr. had pressured him saying, hey, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to tweet about how helping my dad, you better go out on the Senate floor and help my dad. And he basically came out saying that what the House is doing, doing all of this behind closed doors, which is exactly what Lindsey Graham did in 1998 when he was part of the Clinton impeachment, is wrong. And he tried to get all of the Republican senators to to back him. And 44 backed him out of 53. And this is what Bill Crystal said. Isn't Lindsey Graham's resolution a sign of weakness? 
Key point, it's not a defense of the president. It's a criticism of House Democrats, which, when the committees release the transcripts and move to open hearings and then the floor, becomes moot, and it only has 44 sponsors. So there's only 44 of the 53, and you could say 54, because Joe Manchin, this is a spot Mm -hmm. where Manchin could jump over and join the Republicans. He's not joining the Republicans. We've got Romney in Utah, Alexander, who's retiring in Tennessee, Collins in Maine, Enzi in Wyoming, Gardner, who's in the fight for his life in Colorado, Isaacson in Georgia, Murkowski in, in Alaska, and again, Joe Manchin. So already we're seeing huge cracks in Trump's wall that really suggest that there's something forward. Yeah. coming yeah and lindsey graham uh you know we've talked about lindsey graham a number of times he seems to have lost his way since the passing of his friend uh john mccain and he goes back and forth uh like a ping pong ball so he was really upset and he was one of the the most vocal folks uh when trump announced the pullout of troops in syria <laughs> and then within what is it 48 hours he was back in team trump yeah, but see, and not only back on Team Trump, but like he's leading Team Trump, as you said. Yeah, with the, I'm with getting, this. and here I am. This is a terrible spot for me to be in. I hate to do this, but I also, you know, Lindsey Graham with a whole Syria explanation and all the stuff that was happening there, it sort of made sense to me for a minute why he does all that he does for President Trump is because he believes so strongly in American foreign policy and how it should go that if he was fighting Trump, he would have no voice in that. And he's trying to, you know, he was trying to stop it. Because what's happening in Syria, quick sidebar, is that now we're sending more troops in than we had there before to defend the safe zone between Syria and Turkey to protect some oil reserves. And President Trump even came out last night and said that the Kurds need to go down to where the oil is because that's where the Americans are going to be. Because that's worth more than our allies, in a way. Um, Yeah, do you think, because remember, Graham was not, he was not given the heads up on the initial pullout, which was no part one of was. Like, so, so yeah. So how relevant is he really, or, or is he just fooling himself into thinking that no, he can I, remain I, relevant? Look, he's, he, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. What's happened to Lindsey Graham. Um, but we've, are, we've seen, we've seen other, um, we've seen other, um, senators kind of flip flop. You, you mentioned yep. John, you know, John Thune. Yes. Uh, John Thune, the very tall Superman looking guy who stands behind <laughs> Mitch McConnell when Mitch McConnell does his uh, his press conferences. And John Thune for years would stand back there kind of like a bodyguard or, or a bouncer and now just looks troubled constantly. He, if I may say, I'm going to take it over. He took two days ago. He came out after Taylor's um, opening statement came out and he said it's deeply troubling. Essentially, he said, this is looks really bad. And then yesterday came out and said, well, you know, it's sort of hearsay. We don't know what it is. So you just see these Republican senators just fighting themselves because they're like, this is so wrong. But am I willing to be like Mitt Romney and stand there and take the heat? Um, and that that becomes the question, you know. Yeah, that, there there was is... a piece in the in the New York Times uh, recently that that you pulled out, which where campaign consultants, Republican campaign consultants, are telling these senators that at the end of the day, you have to be able to maintain your own credibility. You know, after yeah. this is all over, are you going to be able to stand up and say, you know, I you know I fought the good fight or I was on the right side because otherwise I, you know, I was yeah. consistent. Uh, you got to think about those things now as they're, but they're, and I think it's tough. They're bouncing back and forth. And, and I, I'm not one to talk about the political rationale for these folks being important. I always talk about, you know, you put the Republic first. That's, you know, we both talk about this, but they have to think about politically at this point, is it smarter to stick with, 
President Trump or not. And there, if yeah, so, they will be consistent. There will come a point where perhaps it's not going to be smart to stick with President Trump, and it becomes really challenging. Now, there are also other avenues of inquiry that are still on the table, including the financial aspects. And we need to take a moment first to note the passing of Elijah Cummings. Yes, Representative Elijah Cummings of Maryland, who was the chair of the House Oversight Committee, which is the committee that is looking into Trump's tax returns and the emoluments clause. Is Trump making money off of this? He passed away uh, suddenly. Uh, he had health problems, but it was still a sudden passing. So that kind of throws, uh, and we should note, um, I, I liked Elijah Cummings as I, I thought he was a really interesting member of Congress to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He was in a... In a a man who was uh, very, very well respected. Right. He really was, yeah. Right. But so, so what's next now for the Oversight Committee? So the Oversight think? Committee is going to be interesting because I th- the Democrats have to replace that. See, there's usually a big fight for replacing the chair of the Oversight Committee, but they might avoid that fight uh, in order to do this. Carolyn Maloney from New York is, is being talked of as she's the senior member and, and might just get that uh, by fiat. Uh, and that means how does this proceed? You know, will it proceed with the same level of gravitas? Because I, I do think that this is going to become a significant part of the inquiry. I actually we're not just going to be on the intelligence side. I think I think this I is going know. to be. Uh, I, I think that might open the door for it to go longer and, and give more yeah. chance for delay and dithering and delay, as Boris Johnson would say. But it's, um, it's still on the table. It's still going okay. to be there. So and, it's going to be a question about how that particular part of this And for of this, this very long conversation about how the Republicans challenged this week, um, we also need to talk about something that happened just last night. Oh, yes. um, the Justice Department opened an investigation into the Russia investigation. Uh, would you like to explain that? <laughs> yes. Now, that sounds a little strange because didn't the Justice Department do the Russia investigation? Yes, yes, it did. So it's opening an investigation into its own investigation. I think this is a sign that how of how hot this is getting and and how much the Trump administration feels the heat. So yeah. Bill Barr, and they, they've been do- talking about doing this for year for right. for a while now. I mean, they've been sort of like, you know, break glass in case of emergency. So like the Russian is- investigation is the investigation that was done by the Justice Department, the FBI, our government did this investigation and said Russia did try to interfere in the 2016 elections and continues to try to interfere in those elections today. That was the key conclusion of the Mueller report that has come out in many other investigations. So now the Justice Department under Bill Barr is directing a new investigation to to basically winkle out that the original investigation was was phony, was false. I just love winkle out. I've yes. never really heard winkle that's a, out that's before. A, that's, a, that's a great British expression. <laughs> uh, yes, to winkle out. So basically, they're doing an investigation of themselves to prove that their original investigation was 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 false. Was false. And in in by doing that, what they're doing is they're just throwing more gasoline on the fire and sort of just trying to turn the republic upside down. Right. And I wonder if this starts to really raise questions about, uh, in the public's mind. Remember, the one, one thing that we look at is the public trust is public opinion moving. And a public opinion is moving slightly, continues to move slightly in the direction of supporting impeachment, but not all the way there. And what are the breaking points? We know one of the breaking points will be if a Republican leadership starts moving in that direction and saying this cannot stand. We know that that will move a significant number of Republican voters. But I wonder if stuff like this we're getting in where basically the Trump administration appears to be overreaching in, in shooting itself 
uh, you know, your, your Justice Department is shooting itself. If that starts raising head-scratching questions of all these people who have been supporting Trump all along, didn't haven't liked his tweets, haven't really been with him all the way in his rhetoric, are now start but have overlooked all the other things that have been going on in, in, the, in government and the way he's run the government, are now saying, uh-oh, this might be problematic. Well, wait, but see, to me, it's a, it's a, what they're going for is actually kind of smart and very dastardly. Um, yeah. You know, back when President Trump, the Access Hollywood tape came out in 2016, uh, and then there was a, a debate about three nights later, and there was this huge amount of like, oh my God, can this guy really become the president after what we just heard him say to Billy Bush on television? What he did was he then had four of Bill Clinton's um, accusers come to the debate and sit in the front row right. and essentially mute his problem by saying, hey, look, we all got we all got problems. Like, you know, Hillary's husband's got problems. I am whatever my problems. Look at Hillary's problems. So I, I think that's exactly what they're doing here is they're saying it's it's all completely corrupt. Everyone's causing problems. No one's doing it straight. So what I did really isn't that bad. Can we just move on to the election in 2020? I think that's what they're going for. My, my feeling is that this will play well with the 25 to 30 percent of core Trump supporters yep, who are with him do or die. Does he lose that other you know, eight to ten percent of soft Trump support based on who, this who have been on the Justice Department. No, what I'm not, no, not just this one investigation. But what I'm saying is that it seems that now, as we get more and more revelations, that there will be more of this type of counter programming yeah, yeah. coming out of the for, Trump administration that starts to then itself rate, because you have to keep upping the ante maybe, every time you do this. Maybe, right? maybe, but I think I, that's to my me, question. Before we get to our conclusion, to me, this Justice Department opening the investigation is a net positive for President Trump and a net negative for the republic. So let's get to where does this all end? Are the prospects for ultimately guarding the republic looking up this week or down right now? And does the Constitution survive? What is the prognosis? I think we're still very much in critical condition. Because I'm not looking at whether the impeachment inquiry is going to move ahead, whether Trump will be impeached. I am looking at, are we in a spot where we're doing things that the members of Congress on both sides of the aisle have come to the conclusion that we need to protect, do things that will protect the public trust or enhance the public trust in the republic. And I think we're at a point right now where it's, it's, we're getting worse before it's going to get better. Maybe, so yeah. we're, we're, I, th- I think we're in a dark time. Yeah, well, I, I actually, I think it's a real mixed bag. I think in some ways the Republic was guarded by uh, Taylor, by his opening statement and by his, by, by all of the, it's not, you know, there was a, there, I, I saw one interview, it was on, uh, were people going around in North Carolina State Fair, going over to Trump supporters, going over to everybody and saying, hey, does this change anything for you? And many of them said, no, it changes nothing. It's all the same. But there was this one big dude who was wearing a red hat, but it wasn't a Trump hat. And they said, are you, were you a Trump voter? And he said, yeah, I was, I was a Trump voter. And then they said, well, what do you think of all this? And he goes, you know what, man, all these people can't be lying about it. They got to be telling the truth. Right. You know, and so when that tips over, I think that, that, so, you know, I think that, in some that ways, we, we're not to that point. And my, no, we're my, not. My, but my we worry were. is, do we get more of these Justice Department investigating itself to undermine yeah, faith we in do. the Justice Department, or do we mm-hmm. get members of Republican members of Congress breaking into uh, secure areas and undermining our national security? Do we get does that ramp up to such a point where the damage is so 
significant that we can't maybe, recover from it. Maybe, but it's, it's sort of a bet, isn't it? And we'll yep. wrap here. It's sort of a bet because also what could happen starting November 15th is when all of these people who have been going in, Hill and, and Taylor and others who have gone in already behind closed doors and said what they've said that have been chilling to the Democrats, when they come out in public and say it, will, will there be a full impeachment where the Republican senators can't do anything to stop it, where they just say, well, if we let this go, then the country and our republic as we know it is over. So All right, it was so that's the, what that's, a week. <laughs> that's the prognosis right now. So we'll, we'll have another prognosis, I, I guess, next week. Yeah, we're, we're, this saying. is a nice little thing that we've just added. Yes, where does uh, this all end and where, what is the prognosis, doctor? Okay, so let's move on to our hot take segment. And this is where we have 90 seconds to discuss a specific topic or a news item. And when you hear this sound, it'll be time to move on to the next topic. So I think the first topic you wanted to talk about, uh, you know, there's these uh, rumors, always rumors about Hillary Clinton. Is she in? Is she out? We know Tim Ryan, for example, is out. Uh, what do you think of all this? It's going <laughs> okay. On? Well, first of all, uh, just quickly about Tim Ryan being out. Uh, you know, if you remember back early, I, I had Tim Ryan as a as like a you know a, a real could be something. Um, and Jim Garagati, uh, I hope I said that right, who writes at the National Review, is an interesting writer, um, came out this just today, and he said that, this is what he said about Tim Ryan. He said, Tim Ryan doesn't just represent the demo that Dems lost to Trump in 2016. He embodies it. A 40-something white guy from the Youngstown area who hunts, hates China because he thinks it steals jobs, and likes natural gas plants because they create union jobs. And that's why I thought from the beginning, I thought, well, if Tim Ryan could bring something to the table here, um, if he could be good on stage, but the reality was that he couldn't perform and he didn't do yeah. a very good job. And that's why he never got that support, even though there's a lot to like about Tim Ryan long term. Uh, yeah. So just to note that's that fine. Tim Ryan's out. But what about this Hillary Clinton thing? I mean, no, this, no, no, oh, no, man. no. Are you who's, kidding who's, me? Who, who is floating this idea? No. I wonder. You know, and I got to I got to say. This is what I, I get this all the time. I get a call from a reporter who will ask me, oh, such and such might be happening. And I said, well, where'd that come from? Like out of the blue. Oh, well, I heard somebody over, you know, somebody was talking this or they might have thought of it themselves or one person might have just been floating this as a stream of consciousness thing. But that person happens to be an insider. And then suddenly it becomes a story. Well, and I also, think that's what's going on with this. Yes, yeah, so totally. Stuff. It gives Fox something to focus their attention on. Fox News can focus their attention instead of on what's going on with Taylor. They're not talking about that. They get to say, "Is Hillary Clinton coming back?" Right. Is she, you know, the whole Tulsi so, Gabbard, Hillary Clinton sideshow nonsense. Pass. Yes. All right, moving the, on to the next one, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> not your favorite. I was going to say something sarcastic, but I try not to do sarcasm. <laughs> it's it's the protest of the week. Um, this past week, there was a, a an article in the Washington Examiner that discussed her possibly becoming the next um, chief of staff for for President Trump, and discussed George Conway, her husband, who is a huge opponent of President Trump, very public. And it was an article talking about how she could possibly be chief of staff when she's sort of in between these two men. You read the article. I listened to the phone call. What'd you think? Yeah. So the point of it, there was the original article, but then there was the conversation. And, and the idea was that Kellyanne Conway just went after this reporter and the Washington Examiner, uh, which tends to be fairly on the side of, of, of the Trump. Republicans. That's what I thought. Published the whole thing. Just said, okay, here's an example of how they treat reporters. Now, I know some other reporters that I get treated like that all, all the time. But I think what was interesting, what I, what, I, what I took away from this was not how she treated the reporter, but really 
about talking about her husband because that came up. Why is my husband relevant? She kept saying, he gets his power through me. And yeah, that's true. Was I mean, who, what way we care what George Conway is saying about anybody except how vehemently he's saying it about his own wife. Well, he's not saying it about his wife. Right, he's true. saying it about his wife's boss. Right. And he's never come out and slammed his wife. He, but he is, you know, he's up there with Bill Crystal, as far as I'm concerned, with one of, you know, the, he's the human scum that President Trump is discussing. Right? But, uh, yeah, people who know me know I, I've had this bead on Kellyanne Conway for yes, 17 years now yes, as a pollster because she's, like she behaves in the Trump administration, <laughs> okay. exactly how she behaved as a pollster. <laughs> and she is the... The best gaslighter out there. Easy entirely, there, Chip. Yes, is, we know. Yes, we is, agree. Which is listen, why I think this is interesting. I think this well, is interesting. if you honestly, if you have a chance, listeners, Patrick, listen to the phone call because it's about seven minutes long and it is just painful to mm-hmm. listen to this woman saying, you know, you, to listen to this woman, Kellyanne Conway, just just destroy this reporter and this reporter trying to handle herself the best that she can. It was it was really challenging. Okay, you're up. All right. So next one, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He was in the hot seat. Oh Facebook, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. He was uh, there. I think uh, AOC, your your buddy uh, Alexandria Car- Ocasio Cortez, uh, really had an interesting takedown of him. But uh, what did you think of that? Uh, Here's what I thought of in, that. In front of the Here, house. And this goes to presentation. Okay, this goes back to you know my acting. What he did was, if you noticed. Zuckerberg, every time he was asked a question, he would respond by starting with congresswoman, congressman, chairwoman. You know, that, that this was, he started everything gaining and trying to hold power the whole time. And it was, I, I, I would have, if I was on that, I would have said, uh, Zuckerberg at the start of every question, just in response, because I found it incredibly disrespectful mm. by Mark Zuckerberg. And he was, it was his way of saying, you stay in your lane. I, I'm the one who's got power here. I don't know. If you go back and you look at it, you'll notice every single answer did that. And, uh, AOC, she was strong, man. I mean, she, she is great at that. I wish that all of the democratic, um, committee members were as good and as um, disciplined in their questioning and quick on their feet as right. AOC is. Yeah, and she basically got hit. I mean, it became clear that there is no real policy at Facebook about when, <laughs> what, what false, uh, false right. claims what? they are going to allow to go through and which ones they'll, they'll stop. And if I, I was at the... Uh, let me just say this. I was at the CNN Citizen uh, event yesterday, and Jeff, I watched Jeff Zucker be uh, interviewed where he made a little news saying he wants to be the mayor of New York City, which is interesting, and I think mm-hmm. he, he might win that job. Um, but he was talking about Facebook, and he said, you know what I would do if I was them? I wouldn't allow any political ads during this time, yeah. in 2020. Yeah. And that's what they should do, right. frankly. So, yeah. So I, just if we can go just two seconds longer with this, yeah. you know, yes. they have their new news tab that they just announced where they're going to have this curated news site. Where so that you can get you know get past the the fake news and do it. I don't trust it. I just I won't trust it. No. Okay. Well, yeah. moving on to for you and me, like our little favorites, like our little strawberry shortcake, um, yeah. Brexit and British politics, and what's tell us what's going on and where things stand. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, has called for a new election on December twelfth. Oh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, they need a two-thirds vote in Parliament in order to dissolve Parliament and do this. Jeremy Corbyn of Labour says he will give his support if they get the Brexit extension. They're guaranteed the Brexit extension until January thirtieth. That looked like it was about to happen today. It was about to happen. And then Emmanuel Macron, the President of France, decides to play chicken with Corbyn and say, "You know what?" We're not going to hold our vote in the EU on the extension until 
the parliament holds its vote on when it's going to have its next election. I think this is, this is just hilarious because Macron, I think, wants the deal done. He wants to get out of it. He wants to move on. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's injecting himself in a way uh, that I think is put Corbyn in a spot. But I don't think Corbyn's in a spot. I, okay. I think the, the person who's in the spot is Boris Johnson. And it was amazing because it was such a surprise when Johnson actually made a deal with the EU, something he was not going to do. Brought it back to Parliament. I watched that whole seven-hour day. And if you watched, it was on Saturday because it was the mm-hmm. first time in 37 years. And I watched all seven hours. I kid you not. That's how much I like this stuff. Yeah. And basically, for those seven hours, Boris Johnson looked like, I, I was looking at him going, wow, you're really going to pull this off? Like, I can't believe you're going to make this work. Then John Burkow, there was an amendment from the Tory side that essentially said, but we kind of need to get the EU to say that they'll give us an extension if we don't come to a deal. Burkow put that amendment in, Johnson loses, and then all of the all of the air came out of the balloon. Yeah. And now if you look at the Tory side, they just look miserable. Okay. And they look so like the next week is gonna side. be a big week for them. Yeah, huge. In the next four and the next fourteen weeks in America. It's interesting. We have Boris Johnson and Donald Trump both at critical points and they're very similar figures. Mm-hmm. All right, so let us now move on to our final segment, which is our Guardian of the Week. And this is someone who puts their own personal political fortunes aside, their reputation even, at risk in order to protect the republic. Mm. And I That's, think I think, <laughs> I think this I mean, is a slam dunk on who we're picking this week, right? Yeah, uh, William B. Taylor. And, you know, we, we look back at his past. There was an interesting point was, you know, why would Pompeo, our Secretary of State, ask this guy? to come in and work with Ukraine. If you guys are doing shady stuff, why are you bringing in somebody who is held to such, you know, honor and who who very well might speak out? Why don't you just get like a bumbling idiot who you can just go along for the ride? It seems strange it seemed like a strange choice at the time, but for William Taylor to take these copious notes every step of the way and then be willing to put himself in the line of fire, literally in the line of fire, saying, uh, this is what happened, this is the corruption, we must stand up for it or we lose our country. I mean, there's no question. He is the guardian of the week and maybe the best one we've had. Yes, I have nothing to add to that. Totally uh, concur. Okay, well, great. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app. And please, please, please give us a rating so others can find us. Give us a review so we know what you think. We read those reviews. Also, check out our website at guardians-republic.com and on Twitter at guardiansotr. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back with a new episode next week. See you.